everyone, you are listening to Left of Skeptic. This is the 20th episode. My name is Brittany Lynn. I am Kayla Moria. And we are a paranormal podcast. Hey girl, how you doing? I am just dandy. I'm feeling relaxed and refreshed. How are you? I'm doing doing all right. Yeah. How was your uh how was your trip? My trip was fabulous. Um for those that did not listen last week, I went to Chicago this weekend. Well, I went around Chicago and mm-hmm. I got to go to the Art Institute, which is pretty great. Nice. I got to see Van Gogh's self-portrait in person. What? Which for me Jealous. is a pretty big deal. But it's so tiny. I was like ready for big a big boy and it was tiny. Yeah. Yeah. It's very small. Yeah. And then um, there were a lot of there was an exhibit that was like armory and armaments, which was a word I struggled with a few episodes ago. And they had like cool suits of armor and a two-handed sword, which I always assumed was like a small thing, like a broadsword, but no, it was taller than me. Yeah. And in that same section, they also had a lot of religious art because it kind of fits the time period. And mm-hmm. at one point there was this painting of Jesus on the cross and like he had a really intense like built body and so i started quoting saturday night live and i sent sean this snapchat that was like i heard that jesus has an eight pack that jesus christ (laughs) is shredded and then afterwards i was like oh it's a good thing that my husband understands me i don't know how many other people would find it that funny (laughs) (laughs) but the highlight the highlight of the weekend was getting to go to Bachelor's Grove Cemetery. I am so jealous. Seriously. So when you talked about it, did you know how small it is? I mean, I saw in the show that we shall not name that it's it's not very big. It's really small. Like, we could do a loop easily. Just You just keep walking circles. Almost all the graves there are really old. Like, mm-hmm. people were born in the late 1800s and died in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the gravestones were in complete disrepair, which is sad, like knocked yeah. over, worn down from the elements. Um, then I went over and my sister and I gave our present to the infant daughter, which was Lake yeah, Superior Rocks. Oh, nice. So we did Lake Superior Rocks that I had put in moon water that was water out of Lake Superior. Oh, that's like the best present. I mean... I saw the, in the pictures all of the toys that people left, but that's no Lake Superior in Lake Superior Moonwater. Well, and there were toys, and then there were small things. You could tell people just left stuff that either meant a lot to them, mm-hmm. or maybe they didn't remember to bring something and then saw that there were offerings and were like, okay, what kind of bad luck am I going to have if I come here and don't leave an offering? So there's definitely yeah. like a pack of cigarettes laid down there. That I don't know why the infant <laughs> daughter would want a pack of smokes, but you know, who knows? Maybe the ghost is like, I'll have a dart. What? Oh, I'll have a dart. Is that a cigarette? A that dart. People... I've never. I've literally never heard. I really need you to watch Letterkenny. I need you to get on my Letterkenny level. Oh yeah, I've I've never. I think I watched one episode and I was like, eh. <laughs> um, Sorry, Canadians. <laughs> and I don't know. It was just. It was very calm 
we were there mm -hmm. by ourselves for the most part. And then all of a sudden, my sister started to feel, my sister's way more sensitive than I am. I've mentioned that in the past. And all of a sudden, my sister started to just feel like very gross. Oh. And it was hot. I mean, just like it was hot here. It was hot there, but it wasn't like an overheated kind of gross. She said she just felt claustrophobic, even though we were out in the middle of the woods and just, it, it didn't feel right. Overwhelmed mm -hmm. by something. Yeah. And then shortly after that, I started to feel really heavy, like pre-panic attack chest. Oh, wow. Where like you just like, it just feels like something's starting to just press on your chest. Yeah. And so we were walking around. It was my mom, my aunt, uh, two of our friends and my sister. And then mm -hmm. it was like, you know what? We got a dip. Let's, we, we did our offering. We appreciated what we were there for. It was time to go. And as soon as we left the gates of the cemetery and started walking mm -hmm. the path back to where our cars were parked, mm -hmm. both immediately started feeling better. If I recall correctly, that's one of the things about Bachelor Grove Cemetery is that there's an overwhelming feeling of, please don't be here. Mm -hmm. Which so. we were very respectful. And from what I could right. see, there was one other gentleman there that was taking readings he has this like electromagnet thing that he puts into the ground he's not there for paranormal he's there to figure out where the bodies are oh because he, that makes sense yeah yeah the graves are so scattered and in disrepair mm -hmm. and we were trying very hard to be respectful of the grave lines like there's a definite right. path and we were staying on that but to go back to see some of the other graves you had to kind of go around but at one point you'd be thinking you were walking in a safe like line that was going to be like a mm -hmm. grave line. And then all of a sudden you're stepping on something and you realize, oh, that's a headstone. So you'd quickly move off and like apologize. But it was weird. And so what he was doing is he said he puts these pulses into the ground and it's supposed to detect where bodies are located so that they can better identify where graves are. That makes sense. I think I remember something about there where like headstones were stolen so mm -hmm. there might be bodies where there aren't headstones. Also, if you go by the sort of like urban legend of the place, that's where Al Capone used to hide the bodies. Yep. So there could be people who are not necessarily marked, but also still there. And then there was one other group that showed up probably about 10 minutes before we left, and they were obviously doing paranormal research. Mm -hmm. But they were doing it respectfully. Nicely. Yeah. And so basically, very good trip there overall. A little unnerving at a point. It's almost like we were there for a while and then we were just hit with this wall of, okay, you've been here. Now it's time to leave. Right. And when we got back to the car where the parking lot was, we, because the parking lot is where there's another park across the road. We sat yeah. in the grass for a little bit, did some grounding, and then went about our day. Nice. Well, I'm glad you got to go there. I actually, before I left to go down to the brew fest that I went to, I looked to see if there were any, like, super haunted places in Alexandria, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And I kept finding all this information about this restaurant, which actually our good old friend, Adrian Lee, went and actually did a little investigation there. And I was super pumped about it. And I was like, oh, well, Steve is busy. I'm going to go explore this haunted place. And 
all of the articles I saw didn't say like an actual location or an address and when you searched for the restaurant it came up as permanently closed but didn't give any information as to where it was and then after a little bit of digging I found out that they actually tore the building down in July of 2020 so I just missed it and apparently it was super haunted and then Steve's like well maybe that's why they tore it down fair point sir but uh I didn't realize how close to Sox Center that Alexandria was, and I really wanted to hit up the Palmer House, but it was already a three-hour drive, so. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I never really spent any time in Alexandria, but I did know it was close to Sox Center, so. I still, I think the Palmer House just has to be one thing that we do together. I agree. I, I also had that thought. Of like, do I really want to go there without her? But you sent me pictures of the infant daughter. And so then I was like, oh, maybe I should send her pictures of the Palmer house. And we could just send spooky pictures back and forth throughout our weekend adventures. (laughs) Well, I will share those pictures I took on our social media. Mm -hmm. I did bring the spirit box. I forgot to ask about that. Nothing came up. I did not have a digital camera or a film camera with me. So Mm -hmm. I was not as prepared as I would have liked to have been, but this was kind of a last minute trip as far as preparations go. I recorded some audio just sitting there quietly or standing there quietly. I didn't sit on because I didn't know where there was a grave and it felt weird to try to sit. Right. But I stood there quietly. I recorded the audio. I didn't pick up anything. Nothing in the pictures, but the pictures look pretty cool. So I'll share those on social media. Awesome. I think that'll be good. So I had a fabulous surprise during my work day. Okay. Today. I got a message from Bailey. Bailey, mm-hmm. my old coworker, no longer coworker, OG listener. And she asked me if I was at the office today because we're not always in the office because we're still not back to like normal office hours. And I said that I was and I'd be there all day. And she's like, awesome. I have a book for you. And I honestly can't remember if she's mentioned this book to me before. I don't remember it, so it was a complete surprise. And she shows up with this. Very cool. Which is for the people who cannot see me on Zoom. Which is everybody but me. (laughs) (laughs) Is the Minnesota Road Guide to Mysterious Creatures. Spooky book episode because guess what one of my main sources was for for my story this week. What? Haunted Lake Superior by Hugh E. Bishop. Ooh, mine's by Chad Lewis. And I was just gifted a book called Weird Wisconsin that I have yet to crack into. So we are finally getting some of these books we've talked about knocked off of our list. I know. We keep talking about books and now maybe people will start just handing us books about creepy things, which is really... What more could we want in life than people just being like, hey, here's a book about weird things. I think you'd like it. And you're like... Thank you. I, I do, actually. Thank you. And I'm excited about it because I feel like it's one of those sources that I can legitimately be like, yeah, this is a strong source instead of when I do research and I'm like, I don't know if this is great, but it's not Wikipedia and uh, we're going to go with it. <laughs> Admittedly, I have a couple of sources for tonight's story that are uh, questionable. You know. Well, sometimes but... you have to. That's how you get the bulk of the story how you get the bulk of the story and i just trashed wikipedia but i didn't mean to because honestly a lot of those wikipedia stuff 
cites their sources, so I feel more comfortable with that. It's true, and I often, if I'm doing stuff on Wikipedia, my story tonight doesn't have that, but often I will actually click on the source to see if there's additional information that they just didn't think was relevant to the Wikipedia page, yeah. but I'm like, heck yeah, give me all that info. <laughs> well, I think we should probably crack on into it from here, but before we do, we've got something else to crack into first. A little bit of info about our first ever sponsor. What you drinking over there? I am drinking an Earthrider Royal Bohemian Pilsner right now out of Superior, Wisconsin. Do you see it? Do you see the there's a little little fox on the bottle? Mm, so foxy. Because it's available in bottles now, these cute little stubbies. Nice. Did you know that Earthrider Royal Bohemian Pilsner won the silver medal at the Great American Beer Festival in Colorado? So silver medal. Does that mean it's like the second best pilsner in the country or something? Yeah, it sure does. Damn, that must be a good beer. It is. And it's not overly hoppy. Um, you know this about me. I'm not super into hops, so this is perfect, mm -hmm. especially with how hot it's been. And I love that it's in a bottle. There's just something about drinking beer out of a bottle, you know. I, I prefer it over cans. Uh, what are you drinking? Well, I know you really don't like hops. However, I like hops. And one of my absolute most favorite summertime Earthrider beers is the Stony Point IPA, which also has a new packaging option. Tall boys. Yeah. All the beer you want in one can. I drank so much of this last year. Something about it just like really feels like summer, you know, which I guess makes sense since it's named after Stony Point up the North Shore, which is apparently where all the freshwater surfers go surfing. Yes. Yep. Uh, there's the surfing up there. And if you're not a surfer, and you want to visit someplace up by Stony Point, you can go to Tom's Logging Camp, which, if you don't know, <laughs> is a museum about logging. I don't know. It might just be a North Shore thing, but it's pretty fun. <laughs> that's such a, yeah, that's such a northern Minnesota thing to say. <laughs> anyway, for more information about Earthrider's beer, you can check out their website at earthrider.beer. Well, Brittany, are you ready for me to crack on into it here? Crack into it like I'm cracking into this can of Stony Point. <laughs> nice uh, segue there. Thanks. Jeez, I try. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you today about summer wind in Wisconsin. I have no idea what that is. Neither did I, but I was reading a book. It came up, and I said, thought it sounded interesting, so decided to roll with it. Summerwind is actually a ruined mansion. You know how much I love large buildings. <laughs> um, it's on the shores of West Bay Lake, which is a 417-acre lake on the Michigan border in Villas County, Wisconsin. As a result of abandonment, the elements, and a fire, little of the mansion actually remains standing. It's mostly some, you know, stone foundation and a couple of, like, fireplace archways. Though the building is best known as Summerwind now, it was first known as the Lamont Mansion. Constructed in the early 20th century as a fishing lodge along the shore of West Bay Lake, 
Robert Patterson Lamont, an executive with the American Steel Foundries Corporation and future Secretary of Commerce under Herbert Hoover, purchased the building in 1916. The Lamont family renovated and enlarged the mansion to transform it into a family summer home. Aww. The mansion stood unused through much of the 1930s and was sold to a family named Kiefer in 1941. The Kiefers used it as a vacation home but were never full-time residents. The Hinshaws purchased the building and began renovating it in the 1970s, only residing in it for less than a year before taking off and forgoing the project. By the 1980s, Summerwind Mansion was abandoned, and in 1988, it was struck by lightning and burned to the ground. Oh my god. Pretty simple, right? Rich family bought a cabin, turned it into a summer home. Other rich families continued to own it until one day it burned to the ground. Those were some of the main families, but there were a couple other owners in between there. So it's Mm -hmm. passed through a few sets of hands. Big deal, right? I mean... I don't know, is this a Griggs Mansion situation where... Kind of. People kept going and then being like, ooh, and then leaving? Pretty much. Rich people buying rich people stuff and then not being able to sell their rich people stuff. Because (laughs) Summerwind is known to be very haunted. I was really hoping so, otherwise this would be kind of a lame story for a podcast. <laughs> well, I just wanted to tell you about realty today. Let's talk about some real estate from Wisconsin <laughs> that burned to the ground. The end. With a terrifying history of dark apparitions, disappearing corpses, attempted suicides, demonic possessions, the infamous Summerwind Mansion is easily known as one of the most haunted places in Wisconsin and for good reason. The first tale of haunting comes from the first family to own it, the Lamonts. Normally, hauntings don't show up until later down the line. Yeah. So it's kind of weird that this happened, but I'll get to that in a minute. During the 15 years that the Lamont family resided at Summerwind, they experienced a vast array of strange and unexplainable things. According to the legend, servants working for the family complained of hearing voices. But the incident that finally drove the family from their summer home occurred in the mid-1930s. One evening while the family was dining, the door to the basement flew open unexpectedly, and the apparition of a man materialized out of thin air. Startled, Lamont grabbed his pistol and shot twice, sending the spirit back into the cellar. Supposedly, the Lamont family fled the house after this, never to return. None of this was corroborated in any of Lamont's own writings, but the next Mm -hmm. family that bought it, the Kiefer's, had to get rid of those bullet holes. So something happened. So a gun was legitimately shot off in that area. Exactly. How interesting that it reacted to it and fell back down the stairs. Well, think supernatural. Oh. Mm. Mm? Were they salt bullets? Well, I doubted they Silver were salt bullets? Bu- salt bullets, but you know. Iron? Could There you go. I don't know anything about guns. So, I was going to say, I don't, did they make bullets out of iron? <laughs> I have no idea. If you are listening and you know about guns, you know, let us know. Please tell me if they ever made bullets out of iron. Mrs. Kiefer, according to the stories, was actually afraid to the enter the house and constantly tried to avoid it. Yeah. There's not a lot of information about the Kiefer's time there, experiences, but it is pretty well documented that Mrs. Kiefer was like not stoked about owning the house and didn't want to be there. Yeah, there's creepy shadow men coming up from downstairs. Multiple attempts were made to sell the mansion, and none succeeded until the 1960s. No paranormal activities were reported from the 60s, so I just left that owner alone. I was like, eh, it doesn't matter. (laughs) You're boring. (laughs) 
In the early 1970s, the Hinshaws bought the Summerwind, Arnold and Ginger. They began renovations to turn the mansion into their dream home for themselves and their small family. And surprise, surprise, their dreams were quickly shattered by the paranormal. Of course they were. Renovators would leave partway through projects, claiming they could not work in a house where so many bizarre things continued to happen and things would just disappear. I would actually, you know, find that very annoying as if I'm trying to get stuff done and, like, my hammer disappeared. Yeah, as a contractor. And my wrench disappeared. I lose my phone. Before we started recording, I set my phone so- down somewhere. That's part of why it took us so long to start recording, because I don't know where it is. I missed your your Facebook message. You still don't know where it yeah. is? You just abandoned but it? I You're like, turned, I'll find it later. Well, I turned on my computer, and I saw that you were ready to go, and I was like, well, I guess I'll find it later. <laughs> At least you're in your own house. <laughs> or maybe it's Alice. We don't know. <laughs> there were many reports of electrical problems, disappearing tools, and windows opening and closing by themselves. So many that the family could hardly keep track. Abandoned by their crew, the Hinshaws had to take renovations into their own hands. Duluth's own Hugh E. Bishop, author of The Haunted Lake Superior, wrote of an interview with Raymond Bober, the father of Ginger Hinshaw. For our Duluthians out there, if the name Hugh E. Bishop sounds familiar, it's because that's the father of Hugo Bishop, one of my favorite bartenders at Pizza Luce. Just throwing that out there. I was wondering, I was like, Hugo, I can only think of one Hugo. Oh yeah, that's, that's his dad. I opened the book. And then at one point, Hugo is actually quoted in here, which I'll get to on a later what? date. And I was, said it to Hugo. I was like, Hugo, is this you? And I took a picture of the picture of his dad. I was like, is this your dad? And he was like, yeah, that's my dad. <laughs> Fun facts. <laughs> anyway, Hugh E. Bishop, Hugo's dad, wrote of an interview with Raymond Bober, the father of Ginger Hinshaw. Bober claimed that a Great Lakes captain, Jonathan Carver, was once given the deed that would prove ownership of a large tract of land, encompassing a huge area of Wisconsin and southeastern Minnesota, but he was tricked out of the deed. Supposedly, it was buried in a box somewhere in the foundation of land where Summerwind was built, but he never found it. According to historical and legal records, there is no evidence that this deed actually existed, but it could have been some way to trick him into giving them something. Without finding this, Carver died poor, and Bober asserts that Carver has returned to and stays on the land forever searching for the deed so that he can claim his fortune. This is such like an old-fashioned just treasure hunt story, Mm -hmm. and I'm here for it. (laughs) In Bober's book, The Carver Effect, he documented experiences that he believes show that Jonathan Carver was the sources of the hauntings that plagued his daughter and her family during the half of a year that they lived in that home. Only half a year? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. During dinner one night, Ginger witnessed the ghost of a woman that floated back and forth past a doorway in the living room throughout the meal. And this wasn't even that abnormal for them because the whole family would see strange shapes flitting down hallways or hear voices emanating from dark corners or have doors and windows that were closed at night be open in the morning. Additionally, multiple appliances that were in good condition or brand new would just stop working, only to just begin working again when the repairmen got there. That is literally everything that I own. All of my electronic issues that I have, I call IT, they log in, and they say, well, this is working just fine. 
I know, but moments ago it wasn't. <laughs> More ominously, the family heard gunshots and smelled the odor of gun smoke in the kitchen at times. That is like the original story. Mm -hmm. One night, while painting a closet, Arnold removed a dresser drawer and found a hidden crawl space. He was too large to fit inside, so he sent in Mary, his youngest daughter, to investigate. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> There's been plenty of speculation about what happens next, but according to Mary, she found the remains of a human skull and a handful of black hair. Ew. The family didn't report the incident to the police, however, and years later, when the authorities decided to investigate it anyway because they had heard about it and were looking into mm -hmm. the space, the skull mysteriously disappeared now did the skull mysteriously disappear or did the hinshaws get rid of it because it creeped him out we don't know or it could just have not have existed at all very true over the six months the hinshaws lived in that house they began behaving strangely arnold particularly he began staying up late into the night playing the hammond organ which they had in the home he explained it was to keep the demon of the house at bay According to Bober, night after night, he would pound strange, disjointed sounds from the keys, playing the instrument until sunrise, despite the cries from his family to please stop and let them sleep. He believed that the demons commanded him to play. There are notes that at some point while in the home, Ginger attempted suicide, and Arnold had at least one stay in a mental health facility. Oh my. The mansion was abandoned again shortly after that. Legit. One last attempt at renovating the house was made in the 1980s, and yet again the strangeness began scaring away any help the homeowners could wrangle. Many people reported seeing random furniture appearing in pictures that weren't there when they took the pictures, room dimensions suddenly changing, and even dark shadows in full view of people, but not in the photos. Ew. All attempts were abandoned after that until the house was swallowed by a fire that started during a lightning storm. Even after the building was burned down in 1988, the controversy did not stop as some claimed that the fire wasn't an accident, but arson. Arson by the town. Oh, okay. I thought for sure you were going to say act of God. <laughs> Craig Nering, founder of the Fox Valley Ghost Hunters, which hosts spooky events at what's left of the mansion, basically foundation, chimney, concrete steps. He's also with the Summerwind Restoration Society, which hopes to rebuild the house as it was and run it as a bed and breakfast, like a spooky, creepy bed and breakfast. As a side note, they are hundreds of thousands of dollars short of money needed to do this, according to the newspaper article I read, which could have mm -hmm. something to do with these accusations. Ah. Naring is alleging that not ghosts or Mother Nature, but flesh and blood humans are responsible for the fire that burned the mansion to the ground in the late 80s. And not just any humans, but rather Lando Lakes town board members at the time, the fire department, and law enforcement officers. He thinks they're all involved. Wow. Their supposed motive? They were tired of all the vandals and kids partying in the vacant mansion. Naring asserts right. that the nephew of a Summerwind neighbor was present that night and saw the century-old place get torched. Jim Stingle of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel contacted Ronald Ramish, who was on the town board back in those days. For a story that he wrote in 2017. He specifically noted that he was careful not to offend the man, but he wanted to get some answers. In a calm manner, Ramish responded to him and said, no, we didn't burn it. We were sick of the partying and stuff out there, but the town had nothing to do with that burning. No. 
I was town chairman then, but we had nothing to do with it at all. Dingle read in parts of what the unnamed eyewitness had said. Fire trucks, deputies, and town officials showed up after dark on the evening of June 18, 1988. They spread straw inside the mansion and lit it with a torch and burned down the garage and two outbuildings. And the witness also claimed that an older gentleman, he assumed to be from the town, warned the neighbors ahead of time that night not to be alarmed if they saw a fire, and that some man approached the witnesses and his friends as they watched the fire and said, you know lightning hit this, don't you? Like trying to push that it's a lightning storm thing. Right. Ramesh said, that's baloney, complete baloney. It was a surprise to me when it burned down, actually. Complete baloney. <laughs> Ramesh is quoted in a Milwaukee Journal article from 1985, three years before the fire, saying that the town expected to petition Villas County Circuit Court for permission to burn the building because it had become a nuisance. And five years before that, Life magazine had featured Summerwind as one of the most haunted houses in America, which had brought even more people out there. Ramesh said he thinks he was misquoted and that no such permission was ever sought, but either way, I could understand that. I mean, I can understand wanting to say, no, I didn't burn this building down, but if they did, I could understand wanting to burn it down. I don't go into places that I'm not allowed, and on this podcast, we do not advocate to go into places <laughs> that you are not allowed. But think about the listener stories we've gotten in the past. Uh, right. Teens love to go hang out in abandoned, haunted places and cause trouble. So I can't say I'd be surprised if this is true. I guess the only thing that I would say is surprising to me is that they would be so blatant about it. Like, if they really wanted to be secretive about it, why would they send fire trucks and all the town officials and mm -hmm. all of these people and all the people? Maybe have the fire trucks on, like, standby just in case, and then someone can make a call about coming across a burning building but why, why have a party to burn it down and then pretend like it didn't happen? It just seems like if you're going to be secretive about things, you should actually be secretive about things, you know? Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's no unanimous opinion on whether the fire was an elaborate town scheme, a sad weather accident, or the fault of ghosts that supposedly reside there. But there is a pretty prevailing thought that the grounds are still haunted. It's located on private land, and its ruins are closed to the public, but it has still been popular with paranormal tourists. Some groups have permission to be there, and some do not. Um, the mansion was actually featured on an episode of A Haunting. They had permission, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't find any reports of haunting activity since the building burned down. Oh, okay. But either way, that is a long history of tragic accidents that started right from the get-go yeah like you gotta wonder what happened on that land to have a haunting like right when the house was built there's the carver theory but a guy looking for a deed i mean i guess we've seen hauntings happen for less but a guy looking for a deed right. just doesn't seem like something that would spark that much paranormal activity you know what i mean I, yeah, I agree. So I wonder what else went on there, but either way, I think that this was one of the spookier stories I've read about because it's, mm -hmm. it drove a family, like, 
to leave in six months because their activities changed so much and it put them in such a bad headspace. That's terrifying to me. This made me think about the Griggs Mansion and Gina's story from last week. Mm -hmm. And then I thought about how awesome of a movie this would make. I'd, I'd watch it. Oh, yeah, totally. So that's the story of the Summer Wind Mansion at West Bay Lake in Wisconsin. Love it. That was good. Well, on a skeptic scale of para to normal, five being para, one being normal, where would you put this? I'm going to give it a 3.5. Okay. I really like the story, but I don't know about the evidence. Well, also, there is the evidence that the family kept leaving. However, there are some indications that sometimes environmental factors can play a part in how people feel emotionally. So maybe it's just literally built on some sort of bad land with weird mm -hmm. geographical things. Look at me trying to be so sciencey and failing so hard. <laughs> I give it a three mm -hmm. for similar reasons. Yeah. If I didn't have Haunted Lake Superior as a reference, and let me tell you, Hugo's dad, like, he did his research. Um, if I didn't have this, I probably would have given it, like, a two or a two and a half. But, right. like you said, there's a lot of families in and out of there. Something had to be going on. Something had to be going on. Even if it wasn't paranormal, there's definitely something weird about the place to have that pattern continue on for so long. It is a little disappointing also to be reading about something and then realize after I'd done so much research that it's really not a place we could visit. It's on private land. But, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. Just because we can't go there doesn't mean it's not a good story. Right. So, uh, how's that stony treating you? Still going strong. And the fancy award-winning Pilsner? Uh, just about to open my second bottle. Hold on. I can't... I can't talk and open a bottle of beer at the same time. <laughs> yeah, you kind of look like you're struggling a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> what are you doing this Spooky Wednesday? I don't know. I was kind of thinking about, I don't know, drinking more beer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Charlie Parr is actually doing his midweek bracer and blues meeting at Earthrider. And the Rambler will be there slanging some delicious food truck food. Oh, we should go. Are you going to go? I want to go. I love Charlie Parr. Yeah, he starts at 5, so it's just right after work. And then, I don't know if you saw, but Brianne Marie and the Front Porch Sinners. I know that name. Submitted one of her listener stories for our Homegrown episode. Yes, yeah, she did. She and her band are playing at the Earthrider Festival Grounds with Thompson Springs and Corey Kaufman. Love him. On Friday at 7. So, if you want to go early, though, Ingeborg is actually playing in the Cedars starting at 5. So, are we just going to spend... All of our time at shows at the Earthrider now, then? Yeah, pretty pretty much. <laughs> well, for more information about Earthrider, their beer, and their events, you can check out their website, earthrider.beer. And you can also check them out on Facebook, which is where they list all of their events, as well as Twitter and Instagram, at earthriderbeer. Okay. Okay, bye! Bye! All right, so my story tonight is actually kind of 
semi X Files inspired. <gasps> You're gonna have to go deep, deep back in your X Files knowledge. Is it about tombs? So it's no, it's not. No, <laughs> uh, sorry, I didn't like that episode. Obviously, uh, no, and it's actually only in location, not in paranormal phenomena. Okay, so in season one, episode four, Conduit, we're going super, super way back. Mulder and Scully go to Lake Okaboji in Iowa, which is apparently a UFO hotspot. And the, the Hulu description for this episode is not super helpful at all. It <laughs> says, Mulder becomes obsessed with solving a case that closely parallels an encounter he experienced as a child. So, like, half the episodes? <laughs> right. It's basically the plot of all of the entire series of X-Files. Um, no, this is the one where the teenage girl named Ruby goes missing from a campground and her little brother draws her face in binary code. Remember? Yeah. She, he's like drawing all the ones and zeros and then Mulder sees it from above and he's like, it's her face. Um, Mulder thinks that she's abducted by aliens. And I think the story goes that her mom was also abducted when she was younger, but she didn't want to talk about it because everyone made fun of her. And then Ruby comes back, yada, yada, yada. Mulder gets hypnotized and it's at the end of that episode that he kind of starts to remember his sister's abduction mm -hmm. you know yeah the usual the usual yeah you know so a couple of things differ in the episode from what lake aboji is really like so according to xfiles.fandom.com it describes these differences as quote first of all the spelling of the iowa lake in reality it is o-k-o-b-o-j-i However, for some reason, in multiple times during the Conduit episode, they spell it O-K-O-B-O-G-G. -G, oh. Like the Bee Gees. Okaboji. 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 Sounds like a Pokemon. Which is, yeah, I think it's probably a Native American term mm -hmm. based upon the spelling. So in reality, the Iowa's small town Okaboji is located west of the lake and is surrounded by mostly flat terrain, but is shown in Conduit as being surrounded by mountains. And the episode also places the lake for some reason near Sioux City, Iowa, which is actually more than 110 miles away from where the lake really is. Okay. Which is some weird changes to make, but Magic whatever. of TV. Oh, also, I guess <laughs> this is the funniest part of all. Mulder also mentions trout fishing and hashtag fun fact. There are no trout in Lake Okaboji, according <laughs> to this website. And I like how that was that was his little kicker at the end. Like, there are no trout there. Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> like, everybody knows that. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> but I'm actually not going to talk about aliens tonight, because although I picked Lake Okaboji because of X-Files, I actually found it on atlasobscura.com's list of lake monsters of america <gasps> cryptid night mm -hmm, yeah in our third episode i covered minnesota's peppy who resides in lake pepin and tonight i'm gonna tell you about obojoki the lake monster of lake okaboji and say that five times fast please obojoki the lake monster of lake okaboji <laughs> <laughs> it's hard it's hard because they're like the same but backwards anyway this Nessie-like creature is said to be up to 140 feet long with a head the size of a bowling ball. 
and depending on what website you're looking at it's described as having green brown or bluish gray scales and although there are many stories of obojoki brushing up against the sides of boats or being seen under the water one of the first published stories of the creature dates back to the early 1900s it can be found in an article published in the vindicator and republican newspaper from esterville from 1903 <laughs> i'm not really sure what that means <laughs> but, quote they saw something or rather saw where something was they have no idea what it was it might have been a sea serpent or it might have been some kind of fish that had grown to unusual and extraordinary size they were out in the lake in a boat when they noticed a short distance from them a terrible commotion in the water the thing whatever it was, was moving quite rapidly through the water and quite close to the top, and it had the appearance of being as large as an overturned skiff. Do you know what a skiff is? I don't. Me neither. Okay. I assume it's anyway. like a schooner, and a schooner is a sailboat. Oh. Overturned And you sailboat. know what? There is no Easter Bunny. What? Sorry, it's a Mallrats reference. Go ahead. It made waves so large that Mr. Bartlett was really alarmed, fearing that they would swamp his boat. He does not pretend to know what it was and declares that he would not have believed that there was such a creature in the lake had he not seen for his own eyes the commotion that it made. End quote. Ooh. But just because that's one of the first times that the lake monster has shown up in print doesn't mean that it's the first time that such a creature has been seen in the waters of Lake Okaboji. Iowa's Meskwaki tribe has legends of an aquatic dragon commonly known as an underwater panther. Quote, a powerful, mystical creature, something like a cross between a cougar and a dragon. It is a dangerous monster who lives in the deep water and causes men and women to drown. Ooh, I don't like that. Per cryptids, with a Z, dot fandom dot com, in the mid-1600s, a Jesuit missionary named Claude Dablon, He's French. I looked him up. <laughs> Claude Dublon told a story about four Ojibwe, Native Americans, who embarked on a journey to the home of the water panther to take some copper back to their home and use it to heat water. And the very second that they pushed off and backed into the water with their canoe, the eerie voice of the water panther surrounded them. The water panther came growling up after them, vigorously accusing them of stealing the playthings of his children. All four Native Americans died on the way back to their village, the last one surviving just long enough to tell the tale of what had happened in his final moments before he finally died. End quote. Hmm. Kind of like vague, but creepy. It's, it's so vague. But creepy. Creepy. And the beginning part of it sounds a lot like what the Native Americans experienced with Peppy until the monster started yelling at them about stealing his children's playthings. There's a lot of parallels. That is not one of them, but there are a lot of them. <laughs> uh, but one of the most recent sightings of Obojoki actually happened in 2001. A user by the name of Sassafras T12. Nope. What? What a weird thing to get wrong. Here we go. <laughs> <I'm so tired. laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but one of the most recent sightings of Obojoki actually happened in 2001. A user by the name... <laughs> Are you stuck Sorry. on the username thing again? 
<laughs> it's only because its name is Sassafras T13, and for some reason I said 12. <laughs> for some reason I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Numbers are hard. <laughs> Numbers are hard. Okay. <laughs> but one of the most recent sightings of Obojoki actually happened in 2001. A user by the name of Sassafras T13 posted on the Shadowlands.net. You know it's fancy when it's .net. Quote, one day on June 23rd, 2001, my family and I were vacationing on Lake Okaboji in Iowa. We were at a small resort with a dock. And I must make this clear. First, Lake Okaboji is a huge lake. This lake was naturally made multiple dozens of thousands of years ago. <laughs> multiple dozens of thousands. <laughs> uh, this lake was naturally made multiple dozens of thousands of years ago. <laughs> it's a long-ass it, time. <laughs> and it is undoubtedly hundreds of feet deep and possibly hundreds of acres from shore to shore. Anyway, my two... <laughs> <laughs> this is just getting you tonight. It's funny. It's just so stupid. <laughs> anyway, my two children and I, one ten, one thirteen, were sitting on the dock eating some ice cream cones looking at the water. It was a calm evening, possibly about 7.30, so it was light outside, but just starting to darken. The water was still like glass with ripples only from passing boats. And then in parentheses, no fancy boats, just normal cheap little things, and none came anywhere near close to us. End parentheses. When my 13-year-old daughter nudged me in the arm and told me to look here and pointed at a wakened spot in the water, it was churning, almost creating a small whirlpool. A massive hump, parentheses, well, okay, wasn't that big, but it was bigger than anything I wanted to see, end parentheses, slowly and gracefully rose out about a foot away from the churning water. Then it moved quickly, about two to three feet, and then rapidly went back under. I remember it didn't have scales like a fish, more like a snake, or maybe it had some kind of pattern that made it look like scales. It was dark, 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 greenish, or blue. We were playfully freaking out while watching for more, not thinking about the safety of us. Then we saw a head, a very good-sized oval or sphere, a bit bigger than a bowling ball, but it wasn't perfectly round. It was like a lizard or a horse's head. Those two are so comparable. You can't. The, the, the listeners can't see the face I'm making at my own statement there. But <laughs> yeah, that was sarcasm. The head arose, and I could see it had the same pattern and color as the hump I had previously seen. It had its head out and about two inches of its neck, and it swam very, very, very quickly through the water. The only part of its body that made the wake was its head. And I knew the creature must have been big, so it must have had a fairly long, in all caps, neck for its body uh, to not disturb the surface. It swam probably a dozen yards, then its mouth opened, and it appears to take a gulp of air and then went back under. Just a split second later, I saw the same hump roll under the water, then I saw the last part of its tail, in parentheses, it was a fairly stumpy tail. And parentheses splash out. My children and I were too dumbfounded to say or do much. Then we saw its head again, and it was coming towards our dock. It was about one to two feet away from the dock supports. And then in parentheses, the poles that hold it up. And parentheses, it went under. Less than a second later, we felt a huge bump and heard a loud thud. 
The dock shook violently for a second. By this time, we were terrified, and we ran back to the shore as fast as we could. End quote. That was hard to get through. All I can think when they said stumpy tail was like mm-hmm. a little like American bulldog tail. So it's just this big sea creature that oh. might be blue or brown or green with just like this little bulldog tail just... <laughs> So that was an interesting experience. But, yeah. (laughs) Um, Now, Lake Okoboji isn't exactly, quote, hundreds of feet deep and hundreds of acres from shore to shore. It's actually ranges from 39 to 136 feet deep and is about six miles long and four miles wide, which is much smaller than Loch Ness, which is 23 miles long and about 788 miles deep. Mm -hmm. Now, when we did the Lake Pepin with Peppy story, Lake Pepin and Loch Ness are actually very similar in size. Yeah. Except for Lake Pepin actually wasn't quite as deep as Loch Ness. Mm -hmm. But this lake in total is just so much smaller than either of those lakes. So you might ask, how could a Nessie-like creature exist in such a small space? Well, according to another fandom website, as the stories have it, the Iowa Great Lakes are actually connected to the Gulf of Mexico by a large subterranean river giving obojoki access to the wilds of the open sea okay because i was going to ask you because when we talked about peppy we talked about how it wasn't lake pepin isn't very deep Mm -hmm. but then i was like well there's the whole river but this one doesn't have a river so they're saying there's an underground river that okajobi is just like obojoki 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 travels all the way in this subterranean river to the Gulf of Mexico. Okay. Which I suppose could be the reason why Obojoki isn't always seen to those who visit Lake Okaboji. But what proof do we have that there is a lake monster in Lake Okajobi? I don't know. Okaboji. Okaboji. It's Okaboji. Uh, supposedly it was actually caught via satellite imaging. Do you have the photo? So you might think that this doesn't look like much. No, it looks like a blob. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, but that's okay, because they actually enhanced the photo a little bit for us. Looks like a shark. It does look like a shark. But why would a shark be in a lake? So that doesn't make any sense. Yep, because that would be the neck, and then that would be its little stubby tail. Yeah. And now I don't want to go in this lake ever. So thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. So that, that, my friends, is the story of Obojoki from Lake Okaboji. And I, specifically when commenting on this story, did not use the name more than once. And then I screwed it up the one time I tried to use it. So... That's okay. I messed up a lot. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see how much I leave in the fact that that I messed it up. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe you guys will see it. Maybe you guys won't. I mean, just kidding. It was perfect. It was perfect, I said it perfect the whole every single time. time. <laughs> On a skeptic scale of paranormal, I'm going to give this a three. We're going to go dead middle of the road. Damn, that's better than I thought you'd give me. I'm not going to lie. The image, which we will share on our social media, is not that Mm -hmm. convincing. 
It's really not. No, but it's not. There's a Nessie. There's a Peppy, and now we've got a Obojoki. Obojoki. <laughs> I mean, there's got to be similarities, right? It wouldn't just keep happening. So I don't know that I believe it, but I also know that I am not going to go swimming in this lake ever. I think it's interesting that so they didn't go super in depth into the Native American legends, but they referenced it enough on the on the multiple websites that I looked at that stories of this lake monster have existed for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And with Peppy, that's kind of the thing that got me to determine like whether or not I thought maybe it was real is how long the stories happen. Although I have to admit Sassafras T13 story didn't really do much for me. No, not at all. And it might have just been because it was written so oddly and I couldn't stop laughing through it. Dozens um, of thousands of miles? The, this lake was naturally made multiple dozens of thousands of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, what rating are you going to give it on the skeptic scale? I'm going to give it a 2.5. <laughs> All right. We're very middle of the road. Yeah. But luckily, Bailey gave me this new book, The Minnesota Road Guide to Mysterious Creatures. And maybe I will find some more convincing monsters that are from the Midwest that I can tell you all about. Actually, uh, Peppy is in this book. Oh, nice. I've already told you the story. But Peppy's in there. So whatever is in this book, whatever creatures that come about, they're in good company. Because I love me a little vegetarian peppy. So, I don't know if y'all know this, but we spend a lot of time figuring out what exactly we're going to cover each week. And we have our little reserved list of things we know we want. But if you Mm -hmm. all ever have anything you want us to cover, shoot us a message on Instagram, on Facebook, email, and let us know if you have a request. Because we love requests. I love requests. Yep. Because also... Do you know what a hassle you're saving us in the time spent trying to figure out what we're going to look into? (laughs) Honest to God, trying to determine between multiple things which one I'm going to research. Like, I don't I don't have that good of like deciding skills. Yep. I just don't. I I don't I don't know what I want to (laughs) pick. So on that end, with asking for requests from listeners, I'm going to have another request to listeners please send us listener stories because i am out oh no every once in a while Brittany reads a listener story but Brittany has a lot of crap going on so i am kind of the de facto figure out what we're doing with the listener story situation person and as a result i have run out of them and it's could that be your title De facto figuring out what we're doing with the listener story situation person. It can only be my title if we put it on a business card. I will put that on a business card. Okay, what's your de facto title? Editor in chief. <laughs> you get a very professional sounding name and I get that. <laughs> so I found another one of my favorite classic Reddit stories to share. And not that I am not stoked to share Reddit stories with y'all, because I love these things, but I much prefer to hear from you. 100%. So please keep that in mind. But I am excited to hear what you have for me tonight. So this one is not as old as previous Reddit stories I've shared with you. 
you didn't have to go back seven years through your likes and history? Nope, only four. Oh, okay. <laughs> and when I was finding Good. the last listener story, I stumbled upon it and then bookmarked it so that I could save it for later because I did like this. Yeah, you have a weird title, but you've got a good brain there. <laughs> this was posted four years ago by user Pippinalicious, which is a great oh, name, yeah. on Reddit's No Sleep Forum, which I know you're a huge fan of. I love the No Sleep one, and I'm so glad we're recording this at 1030 at night. Get ready to not sleep right here. Right before I, yeah, I was going to say right before I go to sleep or not. This is the story of Fran and Jock. I was the last in a long line of grandkids on both sides of the family. No one has ever said as much, but I'm pretty sure I was an oops baby. The result of one too many glasses of wine and a couple over 40 who thought unplanned pregnancies were for teens. Oops. Sad. <laughs> By the time I came along, both of my grandmothers had already passed away and my grandfathers were elderly and lived in different states. Trying to coordinate travel plans for the family of five, including an infant, was difficult on a budget, and neither of my grandpas were up to frequent trips, so visits were rare and spaced out over long periods. Still, both of my parents wanted me to have a relationship with them, so we'd trade phone calls so that they could hear my nonsensical baby babble, they'd write me letters for mom and dad to read to me, and they'd get crayon scribbles in return. When I was three, they both started to experience declines in health. First, my maternal grandpa, then my paternal one. Fearing the worst, mom purchased a pair of teddy bears, the kind that had recorders in them so you could record a message that would play when the bear was hugged and made sure to get a message saved from both. Aw, that's actually a really sweet idea. My mother's father died when I was four. Few days after his funeral, I was given a white teddy bear with bright blue eyes that twinkled from beneath a plaid flat cap and green sweater. When I gave it a squeeze, I heard my grandpa's slightly muffled voice from its stomach. I love you, Sadie. Two years later, after dad's father's passed, I got another one. It was slate gray color, and the stitching on its face gave him a rather serious expression for a stuffed animal. A pair of red suspenders held up his tan trousers. I fell asleep hugging it, and my dad told me some years later, with tears in his eyes, that randomly throughout the night, he kept hearing grandpa's voice coming from my room saying, I love you, Sadie. I named my white bear Fran and my gray bear Jock and put them on a shelf above my bed, where they sat throughout my childhood. Honestly, I didn't give them much thought. They had become fixtures of my room, the same way the lamp and the dresser were. Every now and again, I'd come home from school to find one of my parents standing beside my bed, looking at the bears or giving them a little squeeze. Even as time passed, they still recited their single phrase without fail. I love you, Sadie. Aside from those instances, though, Fran and Jock were little more than dust collectors from my childhood. When I went away to college, the two didn't make the cut and were left behind while I made my way out into the world for the first time. I think my parents were a little disappointed that I wasn't more sentimental over the teddies, but any memories that I had of my grandpa's were hazy at best, and I didn't have the emotional connection with them that they did. When Mom gently asked about whether I would like them when I moved into my first apartment, I told her no, that they were probably better off with her. Okay, she said. Well, they'll be here if you change your mind. I was pretty confident that I wouldn't. The next time I went back to my parents' place, it was to house sit while Dad took Mom on their long-awaited vacation out west. 
He'd been promising her that they'd go for over 30 years, and they were both buzzing with excitement. In typical mom fashion, however, she was also very nervous. You remember where all the financial documents are in case anything happens to us, right? She asked from the back seat at least six times on the drive to the airport. Yes, in the white bin under your bed. And the wills? Fireproof lockbox in the oh back of God, your closet. Mom. And the... I think she's got it, hun, Dad said, reaching back to give her knee a squeeze. Mom harumphed and sat back and said, just call if you need anything. I'll be fine. Don't worry. You're only gone for a week. A lot can happen in a week, she said. That's so ominous. I grinned at her in the rearview mirror, unconcerned, and she made a face at me but seemed to relax. After I dropped them off, I drove back to their place and started to make myself at home again. I tossed my suitcase on my bed and went to the kitchen to make some dinner and catch up on one of my shows. It had been a while since I'd had a true, completely free week all to myself, and I planned to take full advantage of it. After I ate, I kicked up my feet, stretched out, and commenced lazy lump mode. I managed to get almost three episodes in before I started to nod off. I checked the clock over the TV and sighed. It was only just after 11. I was really turning into an old, early-to-bed woman already. <laughs> The horror. I know, it's 10.30 now and I'm just like dying. <laughs> I rolled off the couch and shut off the TV and all the lights, plunging the house into a deep darkness. Even in the inky black, I didn't feel a twinge of nervousness. I'd grown up in the house. I knew it like the back of my hand and all of its creaks and groans were almost comforting. I made my way to my room, flipped on the light, and it had been at least five years since I've lived there, but my parents hadn't done much to change my room except store a few bits and bobs in the closet. They said it was so I'd know that I'd always have a place with them. I thought it was because changing it would make the fact that I was out for good more real. Whatever reason, I appreciated the familiarity. As I started to unpack my bag, my eye was drawn to the shelf over my bed. Fran and Jock, ever vigilant, were sitting in the same spots they'd occupied for most of my life. I don't know why, but I couldn't help but smile and reach out to them. I took Fran down first and gave his little cap a tweak before squeezing him around his stomach. I love you, Sadie, Grandpa said. After putting Fran back, I did the same to Jock, who stared up at me with his usual sternness even as I plucked one red suspender. I love you, Sadie, Grandpa said. It was the first time I'd listened to them in a while. Even if they didn't resonate with me as deeply as they did for my parents, I was glad to find the recording still worked. A quick trip to the bathroom and a change into my PJs later, I was in bed and fast falling asleep. I can't say exactly what woke me. A nightmare, I figured, given that my heart was beating quite quickly, but I couldn't remember any details. I took a deep breath and rolled over, already falling half asleep again, and found myself face to face with a dark figure on the pillow beside me. I yelped and sat up, grabbing at my phone, the nearest source of light, and shined it towards my bed. Fran was lying on his side beside me. I let out a small chuckle and gave myself a little shake to dismiss the lingering fright that he'd caused and picked him up. Did you fall off the shelf? I asked him quietly. I must have put him back too close to the edge earlier and gravity had done its duty. I gave Fran a gentle squeeze. Get out. Oh my god. I stared down at the bear and blinked once, very slowly. I must be more sleepy than I realized, I thought. I was hearing things. 
To prove to myself that I had just been my imagination, I squeezed him again. Get out. Oh, my God. It was Grandpa's voice, but instead of the soft warmth it always had, it sounded cold, almost menacing. I threw Fran across the room where it hit the wall. Over my head, I heard Grandpa's more gravelly voice. Get out. I whipped around and looked up at Jock. He was sitting in the same place as always, but now he was turned towards the door instead of facing forwards. Had I put him down like that? I couldn't remember. Get out. Grandpa's voice came from Fran again, louder this time. Get out. Grandpa's voice echoed from Jock. The two went back and forth, their voices louder and louder, until I slapped my hands over my ears and leapt from my bed. I wanted to scream, but my voice was stuck behind my fear-tangled tongue. I stumbled across my dark room, chased by my long-dead grandfather's voices. I know you're down there, Jock shouted with grandpa's voice. I froze. What the fuck? Down there? Down under the shelf? I glanced over my shoulder at the great bear staring silently down from over my bed. I had to get out of my room. I had to get out of the house. I yanked open my door. I see you, Fran said in Grandpa's voice. What? I was halfway down the hall, tears streaming down my face. I didn't know what was happening. Was I going crazy? Was I dreaming? All I, I know is that my two childhood happening. toys were screaming threats at me, and I had to get away from them. I turned towards the stairs. You take one more step and it'll be your last, Jock bellowed. Get out, what? Fran roared. From somewhere downstairs, a step creaked. Someone else was in the house. They weren't yelling at me at all. I realized with a very strange mix of confusing relief and newly formed horror, they were yelling at the intruder who was making their way up the stairs towards me. Oh, Get out, my grandfather's held together. <laughs> Footsteps clambered across the wood floor downstairs. Something fell over in the living room with a loud crash and again in the kitchen before the back door slammed against the counter as it was thrown open and a car engine rumbled to life. Somehow I regained my wits enough to run to my parents' room and look out the windows to the driveway below. An SUV was peeling backwards out into the street. It slammed into the neighbor's mailbox, righted itself, and then screeched off into the night. A heavy quiet had fallen over the house again. After waiting a few long, tense minutes, I crept back down the hall and peeked into my room. Fran and Jock were where I'd left them, both completely silent. When they stayed that way, I hesitantly approached Fran, who was lying on his side with his little flat cat beside him. I picked him up and with trembling fingers squeezed his stomach. I love you, Sadie, Grandpa said warmly. I put his cat back on his head and gently put him back under the shelf beside Jock and backed out of the room, watching them the whole time with wide eyes. As I rounded the corner, heading downstairs to the phone, I heard Grandpop's voice trailing behind me. I love you, Sadie. The police arrived a bit later, following my frantic call to 911. I filed a report, leaving out the bit about my talking bears, and allowed them to collect whatever evidence they could. Every so often, I find myself glancing at the stairs, almost like I was expecting a repeat of whatever had just happened. It never came, and the cops wrapped it up, leaving me alone again. When I called my parents to tell them about the break-in, they immediately wanted to rush home, but I reassured them there was no need. Really, I said, I don't think you have anything to worry about. 
We could be on the next plane, Mom insisted. No, I'm okay. Whoever that guy was, I'm pretty sure he won't be back. It took a few more go-arounds, but I eventually convinced them that I was fine. And I felt it, too, for the most part. After the initial shock had worn off and I'd had some time to process what had happened, I really was okay. I couldn't explain it. I couldn't tell anyone what had happened without sounding crazy. But I knew it had been real. And I knew, as long as I had Fran and Jock sitting on the shelf above my bed, I could sleep easy. A few days later, the cops did find the guy who broke in. He was a co-worker of my dad's who'd overheard that he'd be out of town. He thought the house would be empty and easy pickings. When he tried to tell them about the two crazy guys upstairs and their violent threats, they rolled their eyes and laughed at him. He was very surprised to hear that only a 22-year-old woman had been in the house during his botched burglary attempt. When I returned home to my apartment a week later, Fran and Jock were with me. I kept them safe on the TV stand in the living room now, where they have full view of the front door. Whenever I start to feel a bit anxious about being alone, I'll give each bear a little squeeze and smile as they speak. I love you, Sadie. And now I respond, I love you both, too. I would clap, but it would sound really weird on a podcast. <laughs> so. That was a lovely ending and a really scary middle part. It's scary, but it's cute. Once you realize that they're yelling at the person who's breaking in and not Sadie. Also, yeah, the overwhelming fear that she had when she suddenly realized that someone else is there and that's why they were yelling and she's like, oh, good. Oh, no. What do I do now? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So. Oh, my gosh. Other Reddit stories that I've shared have been from Let's Not Meet, which is typically fairly true. But there's no way mm -hmm. that you know things for sure are true or not on the internet. Right. No sleep is pretty commonly fake. But it's right. actually in the Reddit rules of the subreddit for no sleep that you have to treat everything like it's real. They want you to suspend your disbelief in this subreddit, which is why yeah. it's one of my favorites and gives me the best stories. Right? I, that's... When it comes to paranormal stuff, which is kind of like what we were talking about last week when I talked about the Philip experiment, is that we want to believe in the paranormal. And sometimes it's better to just take that leap of faith, mm -hmm. even if it's just for a moment, to get really into the story, to have a good story. Yep. Well, if you would like to save me from my Reddit circle... Don't get me wrong, I love sharing Reddit stories, but I would much rather hear from you. You can submit your listener stories to our email, leftofskeptic at gmail.com, or you can visit our website, www.leftofskeptic.com, and click the listener stories tab. It was pointed out to me by my 13-year-old nephew that I keep saying www. You have to remember that I'm a millennial and we used to always specify <laughs> www so I will continue to do it in the future. I didn't even pick up on that because that's just what you do. No, everybody else just says something.com but I have to say www worldwideweb.leftofskeptic.com That's amazing. <laughs> Or you can always follow us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Left of Skeptic or on Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. We have lots of exciting things coming up. Please follow us, listen in, send us your information, send us your 
suggestions. We love you all very much and want to thank you for joining us this Spooky Wednesday. And if you would all be just total dolls and go on to Apple Podcasts and rate us with five stars, that would be fantastic. Oh, and if you would all just be total dolls and uh, check out Earthrider, too. Thank you for sponsoring us, Earthrider. We appreciate you so much. This stony point is saving me right now. Yeah, because it's hot as hell, and the only thing I have... It's so hot. I'm in a, a cold room beer. that's just surrounded by foam. I'm basically in a hot box, and this beer is the only thing getting me through. Oh, I love it. I love I'm going to finish this and go to bed, and I hope you do the same if you can sleep after that story. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Bye! Bye! Bye.